You are listening to First Church Charlotte. Right, we are in Mark chapter number 11. If you would turn with me, we have been going through the gospel of Mark and it is rich, rich, rich. There is no end to the richness that we find in the word of the Lord. And I, I know you love the word of the Lord because if you didn't, you'd have quit the church already. I would have, done, I would have driven you crazy. And so some of you are like right there, right? <laughs> you haven't got, got quite got there yet, but um, I love the word of the Lord and I love teaching the word of the Lord. And we are in a moment of the scripture after the triumphal entry as they walk toward Jerusalem and they get a colt uh, that has never been ridden and they push number 12. The next day when they had come out of Bethany, he was hungry and seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> he went to see if perhaps, somebody say perhaps, he would find something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. Now look at verse 15. So they came to Jerusalem and Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturn the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry their wares through the temple. And when he taught, he, and then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? I want you to say that with me. For all nations. That is very important to understanding uh, this context of Scripture. But you have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him. Fear makes good people do bad things. Fear makes good people do bad things. You might be a good people. But if you're afraid, you can do something very bad. And so for fear, they, uh, they sought to destroy him because all the people were astonished at his teaching. And when evening had come, he went out of the uh, city. So I'm just going to call this as a way of organizing our thoughts. A cursing and a cleansing. A cursing and a cleansing. Before you're seated, turn to your neighbor, say, this service is very important for you. So I'm going to be checking on you. <laughs> Amen. God bless you. You may be, you may be seated. All right. So there is a lot, a lot here for our consideration and for our study. Uh, we have seen this coming together of the timeline of the passion of our Lord. He had told his disciples he had to go to Jerusalem. He had to suffer and die. And then as he made that turn in his path, his disciples were amazed at his clarity of purpose. And they were in wonderment. We talked about this in our Bible study. And as he makes his way toward Jerusalem, we are reading the story. We are learning the context and we are seeing Jesus with his eye upon his number one purpose, which is the redemption of humankind. I, I don't have a whole lot of time 
time to, to bring out Paul's explanation of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on a redemptive level, whereby he solves the sin problem through one man, sin entered the world. Through Jesus Christ's grace was given for that sin. Uh, he also talks about, Paul talks about in, in images and in communication um, phrases and snippets of understanding. Uh, we see that this whole creation is redeemed through the work of Jesus Christ here uh, at Calvary here at this feast of the Passover. But two things happen at the outset of this week of the passion of our Lord. Neither of them are very easy to understand. I confess to you, I have usually heard these these uh, two moments in scripture uh, explained as a kind of, um, well, this is what the Lord was doing. And we see uh, and we hear uh, Jesus cleansing the te- temple and we think, oh, well, you know, those greedy people in the temple, he's straightening them out. Uh, Yes, but there's more. Uh, We see him cursing the fig tree, and that one's a little more difficult to understand because it's not even the season for figs, Uh, and there is, is, uh, even in a season of no figs, there uh, is this curse placed upon this tree. This is more difficult to understand, and I have spent... uh, a good bit of time uh, wrestling with this and and considering and reading different thoughts of different scholars and commentators. And I think the clearest way to understand them is the fact that all the synoptic gospels give us them together. They are told almost as a single unit. It's as though this is a day, this is a day of introduction into the passion of our Lord. And we see him from this moment forward going more quickly, faster and faster toward the hammer and the nails. And and we see this moment at the outset where he clen- cl- he curses a tree and he cleans out a temple. These must be related together. They are given to us as a set piece by all the synoptic gospels. What then, what then can we can we learn? It is very important for us when we seek to understand scripture is that the first principle of right scriptural interpretation and sound doctrine, the first principle, this would be, if you would like a a theological word, this would be hermeneutics 101, is that scripture gives us insight into scripture. Um, If you want to know what the Bible says on, uh, say, baptism, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, Paul is talking about what seems to be baptism for the dead. We have one mention of that, and if that's all you need to develop a doctrine is just a single mention, then you will be joining the Mormon church, and you will now be practicing baptism for the dead. Um, You can't do that, though, because the Bible has a whole lot more to say about baptism than just this somewhat obscure um, reference to baptism for the dead. The reason why we, as a church and as a theological foundation, do not baptize for the dead is because there is a lot of other scripture, and we let scripture interpret scripture. So it is here with this passage. We are going to look at the fig tree through the eyes of 
of the cleansing of the temple. And we're going to look at the cleansing of the temple through the eyes of the cursing of the fig tree. They are together in their explanation and they are together in their teaching. And we see this, I can read to you from uh, one of the Bible commentaries that I, I like to use, um, Internet, New International Biblical Commentary, that instructs us the incident of the fig tree both interprets the cleansing of the temple and is interpreted by the cleansing of the temple. And so two things happen together. Now, what is the deal about a fig tree that does not have fruit and yet it's not even the season of the figs, the Bible says. Uh, this is interesting because if you look into the cultural um, histories of that part of the world, and if you look at the, the, the botany of that, uh, of that part of the world, fig trees, before they produce fruit, produce buds. And these buds are the precursors of the fruit. The fruit will not develop unless a bud develops first. This is something to understand. If a tree has no buds, it cannot have any fruit. Because fruit are the, is the natural progression of the tree and its production of fruit. First is these buds that are very small and they are edible to this day. In this time of the year, uh, March, uh, perhaps going into April, depending on weather patterns, uh, these small buds are oftentimes eaten by people who are around fig trees. They are edible. They will grow into the fruit, and it is this first green shoot that will develop into fruit. And this tree has the appearance of uh, health. This tree has everything it needs to be in a proper sequence of development. There's a lot of depth here today in this in this in this passage here that I'm going to try to share with you. There is health in the tree. If there were not nutrients, there wouldn't be leaves. There is everything the tree needs to produce a intermittent fruit. It's not the finished product. Aren't you glad that God works with unfinished products? That part was for you. Yes. Aren't you glad God lets people go through a natural progression in there? So it is that in this fig tree, there is everything it needs. There's leaves. Uh, there is the nutrients to support the leaves, but there is no appropriate sequence of growth. Without buds, there will be no fruit. And Jesus evidently stops on his passage, and he looks at this tree, he reviews it, and there are no buds. This isn't a fruit problem. This is a health problem. Something is wrong in the genetics of the tree. It should have buds. It has everything it needs, but it is not producing buds. This 
picture is about the house of Israel. This is about the, 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 the faith of the Jews. This is about the progression of God's people. They are producing something, but it's not the fruit God wanted them to produce. Remember that. The tree is producing something, but it's not what God intended to be produced. Did you hear what I said? In the nature of preachers everywhere, I will repeat it one more time. The problem is not that the tree doesn't have nutrients. The problem is not that the tree doesn't have leaves and all the appearances of health. It's that it has chosen to produce something that was not in its original creative destiny. And when Jesus sees that all of these nutrients are being used to produce everything else, but there is no progress of its intentioned, creative, destined fruit, when he sees that, he says, no man, can eat, no, no man shall eat fruit from this tree. It's not about the tree. It's about the house of Israel. And so, from this this. This moment before this tree, Jesus says, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And it is heard by his disciples. Evidently, it is less an effort of Jesus to make a teaching pronouncement as it is an expression of frustration in the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has only recently beheld the city, or or will, depending on the sequence of the timeline, behold the city and will Weep over it and say, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, oh, how I would have gathered you. Sometimes I feel like that in my own life and I get convicted because I feel like there was more there than I was willing to push for. There was more there than I was willing to stand for. And as a result, I allowed a lesser blessing and a lesser accomplishment in the spirit. Oh, I pray as a church, we do not settle for anything less than an apostolic book of Acts continuation of God's purpose and Holy Ghost destiny in this city. Can I have an agreement? in the house. The disciples hear it, but they do not necessarily understand all the depth that is happening there. Now, Jesus goes into the city, and he goes into the temple, and there he is standing in the court of the Gentiles. Where is he standing? The court of the Gentiles. What's happening in the court of the Gentiles? Uh, the court of the Gentiles is the largest portion of the temple. It, by this time, because it had been expanded by Herod, and now this isn't my notes, this is just some inside baseball type information I know some of you guys will love and some of you guys will roll your eyes, but let's just work with it for a moment, okay? Uh, Herod had expanded the court of the Gentiles tremendously, and it was much, much larger than it had been in previous times of, of uh, Ju Judaic worship. And he had made it much larger. It, at this point, was, I think, if I, I remember correctly, almost 33 acres inside. To, to give you an idea, uh, all the land that the church owns here, all the way to the point out there, this side is nine acres. So if you imagine a court of the Gentiles that was approximately three times the size of this land, you get an idea of how expansive and how large a public area that this encompassed. And this is where uh, a lot of business happened. This is where a lot of the uh, gatherings of the church happened. This huge open 
public area that had porches all the way along the side of it. And these porches, you would you could set up and perhaps sell, do some business in these porches. Um, this was also where you could buy sacrificial animals, um, which was necessary. It's also where you could change your money into the only coin that was accepted by the temple, which was a, a Tyrian half shekel. Uh, sorry for you guys who want me to move along quickly, and this is just little details. Um, uh, the only thing the temple was accept, accept at this time was a coin of Tyre, uh, and it was it was a denomination of a half shekel. And since the formal tax upon the house of Israel was a half shekel, they decided to, rather than try to barter and uh, you have three mites and a turtle dove and an old used scarf. And so we're going to round this up to half shekel. And then the temple will turn into a pawn shop and we'll have to sort it all out to try to convert it. They said, no, not going to do it. We'll let the business people do that. We only will accept Tyrian half shekels as coins for the individual uh, who would pay their temple tax. All of the house of Israel had to pay a temple tax and they would do it every year, particularly the Passover was a time for this. And so the temple did not want to be in the money-changing business. Uh, the priests did not want to be in the money-changing business. They wanted merchants to deal with that. They wanted clean money. Now, nowadays, we'll take money any way you want to give it. Uh, we are no respecter of money. And some people take us up on that. And if, uh, if, if the only time I ever handle church money is if for some reason Michelle can't do it, and then I serve as her, uh, her assistant. I'm a very good assistant to Sister Michelle. And uh, then I handle it. And, and it's always funny to me how some people, they will fold their money up into this Gordian knot of a dollar bill that I nearly lose my Holy Spirit by the time I get that dumb dollar bill unfolded. I just want to say, it's not worth a dollar of my time to get the dumb thing unfolded. Uh, we'll <laughs> and we'll take it anyway, but the temple, they said that we're not in the money business. You only pay this. Now that seems to go the opposite of what they're doing here because it seems like Jesus is mad at the temple. Okay, watch this. We're going somewhere. So, uh, here you see uh, all of this happening in the court of the Gentiles. Now, um, what the entrance to the court of the Gentiles, uh, one of the entrance to them was the great uh, beautiful gate, the gate called Beautiful. Remember, that's where the miracle happens. Silver and gold have I none, such as I have. Somebody say, Maha! Such as I have, Maha! And he leapt up to his feet, and you know the miracle. That happened at the gate, beautiful. That was a gate of hammered brass. I'm sorry, I don't know why I'm getting all these details that I wasn't planning to, but let me just, let me just stop with the details. All this is in this, this court of the Gentiles. Now, where did this idea of a court of the Gentiles come from, and why did all the business happen out here? Now, let me, uh, to give you some understanding, let me uh, read uh, a little uh, passage here um, from uh, one of the uh, scholars I was reading earlier. Um, if you think uh, that the Old Testament temple was this quiet place of reverence, you are not really understanding it. That was the Holy of Holies. That was a quiet place. But the temple itself was loud and bustling. A lot of business happened there. Remember, the temple was not just the center of Jewish religious life. It was the center of Jewish's cultural and civic life. So if you want to have an idea, imagine the... Uh, 
pieces of a stockyard where they are transacting in animals for sacrificial purposes. Add to that uh, the courtroom. If you've ever want to, if you ever want to see a lot of crazy stuff happen, just go down and watch people co- come in and out of the courtroom down there, and you see all kinds of people. And there's come people coming out happy. And there's people coming out mad. And there's police everywhere, just like the temple guard, because this is a civic center. It's not just the little church on the prairie where you and your cousin showed up and you sit there and sing, peace, peace, wonderful peace. It is a bustling city center, as it were. It is a civic center, and all of this business is happening in the court of a court of the Gentiles. So, the sale of animals, and this is me reading uh, from uh, the... Uh, Uh, Jesus and the Money Changers by James F. McGrath. Uh, The sale of animals was essential for the temple's main function as a place for the offering of animal sacrifices. Bringing an animal from one's home risked something happening to it on the way. Not to speak of the hassle of traveling with livestock. You think it's hard to manage your children when you travel? Imagine that you're bringing an ox with you. Uh, uh, And rather than doing this, what you would do is you would perhaps sell an animal. You would carry the money to the court of the Gentiles. And there you would purchase a sacrificial animal. There was another reason why this. The inspectors, the priesthood inspected every animal. Every animal. And would only accept something without spot or blemish in their opinion. Now, if you've ever bought a used car, you understand there's two different opinions about their, that used car. There's the buyer's opinion and there's the seller's opinion. And they're not the same opinion. And let's say you bring an a, a, a animal from your home and you bring him all the way there and you get to the temple and you present him before the livestock judging committee. You know, like the dog shows where you, you, you run down and you give them a treat and then you run back down and you give them a treat and then you stand moving on (laughs) they inspect this animal if the animal will not pass inspection uh, you're stuck with it however if you purchase the animal from a merchant in the live in the court of the gentiles you just took the animal back to the same person you bought it from uh, and you said they will not accept it and they would give you another animal But if you have an unacceptable animal that you've walked all the way from home, nobody's taking that sucker. Why? You get the idea. And so this is why this happened in this court of the Gentiles. The money changers were there, and I'm reading again, to convert various currencies into one standard coinage. The Tyrian shekel that was used for the payment of the annual temple tax, both the selling of animals for sacrifices and the payment of the temple taxes were activities required by Jewish law and central to the temple's functions. And Jesus comes into this bus place of uh, commerce and he drives the money changers out and he drives the livestock out and he says this was supposed to be a house of prayer for all people. Oh, I'm preaching better than you realize. Uh, You don't realize how uh, this is going to be better than you think it is. So go ahead and practice and give me an amen on credit. Thank you. Okay. 
Jesus goes into the court of the Gentiles and drives this out and says, this was supposed to, my house was supposed to be called, my God, I wish I could preach. That house was supposed to be called a house of prayer for, say it with me, for all peoples. But this is just for the Jews. No, for all peoples, for all peoples. Why are you stopping the buying and selling of animals that the Jewish law says you have to have? Mm, I'm going to get fired up here in a little while. What are you trying to say, Jesus? What are you trying to say? Uh, So, go back to the beginning of the covenant with Abraham. Abraham is asked to believe. Abraham is asked as a way of living a life that is unto the Lord to leave his homeland and to go into a land that God will show him. Why does the Lord need to take him somewhere? I'm preaching to somebody here. I don't know who I'm preaching to, but I'm preaching to you. Why does the Lord need to take him into a land to show him something? Because God's going to give him everything he shows him. I told you I was preaching better than you give me credit for. God's going to give him everything he showed him. I can't show you much in your little safe place. I can't open your eyes in your safe place. I need you to get some faith rising up. And I need you to start claiming some things in the name of the Lord Jesus. I need you to stand up and say, God said, wherever I set my foot and whatever my eyes see, he would give it to me. And we're content to stay in somebody else's possession. Because God can't give us something that's some, that's uh, something that is already in another person's possession. I'm glad that your grandma had a prayer life, but how about your prayer life? God wants to give you some things. I'm glad your uncle had an attitude of worship in his heart. I'm glad your cousin was really blessed and working in the kingdom of God. But how about you getting out of their place of blessing and saying, "I'm going to step." Everything I see, God's going to give it to me. The issue is not God's promise. The issue is, honey, have you opened up your eyes? All right, come to take a breath. Calm and smooth. And so Jesus walks into this place where everybody's doing what they're technically supposed to be doing. Why is the temple only accepting Tyrian money? Uh, yeah, of course, the money changers charge for the changing of money. There's not a money changer in the history of the world who doesn't get paid for what they do. Okay? And, and maybe it was an exorbitant, but that profit, if, if it's going to the temple, is indirectly going to the temple, and the people are re- leasing a prime real estate. You see what I'm saying? The temple doesn't want to deal with all this stuff. The temple doesn't want to open a pawn shop and say three, you know, three pigs. And well, they wouldn't have pigs in the house of Israel, but you know, a donkey and a camel and seventeen ducks. Ah, uh, that's about four shekels. No, they don't want to do it. They just want clean money. And so the money changers are sorting this out, and the people don't want to bring a livestock all of them that may not even be accepted. They'll just sell it here, go there, and buy one from someone there who has a guarantee that this will be accepted. If it's not accepted, they walk 20 yards back around the wall, and then another 20 yards down the wall, and they say, hey, Bob, you said this one would pass. It didn't pass. Okay, well, um, try this one. So, you see what's happening? And Jesus walks into the court of the Gentiles, and he says, this 
is wrong. This was supposed to be a house of prayer for all people. So let's go all the way back to Abraham. Abraham, you're going to go. You're going to follow me. And I am going to make you a mighty nation. That's what I'm going to do for you. I am going to bless them that bless you. Curse them that curse you. That's what I'm going to do for you. What, Abraham, are you going to do for me? You see, this isn't just a we're royalty and the world exists to serve us. And the Lord says this, and through you shall all the nations of the world be blessed. I have something to do for you, but there's a point to it. Somebody say purpose. There's a purpose to it. We're not just doing it because you won the lottery. I was in a grocery, uh, a little, uh, the, the most depressing thing in the world to me is to, to be in a line at a convenience store and watch people lined up to buy, buy, buy uh, lottery tickets. They, they, they're all, they all, they all, none of them obviously understands math very well. And you can tell they can't afford it. Now, if you see my wife slipping off without her husband's permission, she can afford it. So don't worry about her. You see what I'm saying? Just pray for her eternal soul. You understand what I'm saying? But these people, I saw a lady standing in line. Uh, this was on Monday morning. And she stood there. And I guess the Powerball thing is like up some big number right now. And she took her whole check, cashed it right there, and bought 300 and something dollars worth of Powerball. I wanted to say, baby, you have a problem. Anyway, what am I talking about? Oh, it's not just about us winning the lottery, okay? Where did this idea of a court of the Gentiles come from? Is that a God thing or a man thing? You see, that's the problem here in the house of Israel. And the whole story starts in Mark chapter number 7 with Jesus' conflict with the Pharisees. And uh, they're saying, you don't follow the traditions of the elders. And he says, no, you teach the tradition of the elders as though it's the doctrine of God. And it's not. Okay, now we're in this court of the Gentiles. Where is it said in the Bible that the Gentiles can only go into this area of the temple? Where is it said? I spent all day looking. And I can't find anywhere where the Bible says the Gentile can only come into the outer court. Nowhere. Where is it said? I could find where the halt and the lame of the Levites, uh, where it was the way it's written, and I can see how you would extend that to all the house of Israel, but I can't find anywhere where the Gentiles had to stay here. But let's give them a pass. There is inscriptions that remain to this day of them posting things that if you are not a house, you're not Jew, and you go beyond this, we will kill you. And they posted that in the temple. That's in the temple. You go beyond here, we will kill you. It is not allowed. I looked for that in the Bible. I can't find that in the Bible. And we come all the way back to the same problem I've taught recently here about two different ideas of what is the attitude and the inclination of God's people. On one hand, you have the school of Shammai who says you can't even be friends with the Gentile. They are unclean. There's nothing to be done to them. They are God's trash. 
On the other hand, you had the school of Hillel saying, no, 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 that's way over the top. You can do business with Gentiles. You can, you can uh, have friendships with Gentiles. And uh, Hillel, uh, famously, if you read one of his philosophies, he actually talks about this idea of how the house of Israel is supposed to be that through which the whole world is blessed. Okay? So, if I can try to bring all this together uh, in the last... Uh, 35 minutes of my teaching here tonight. (laughs) What you have is Jesus walking into a court of the Gentiles where everything is happening except any Gentiles calling upon the name of the Lord. And what they are doing is actually talked about in the law. The inspection, the, the animal sacrifice, everything that's necessary is talked about in Jesus. Of the house of Israel finding its purpose in God's blessing to them. They turned God's purpose to their own and rather than using their blessing, their anointing as a guide, a light, and an inspiration to the world, they turned it into an exclusion, a condescension, and a judgmentalism. And it made God sick. And he looks at this tree. And he says, you had everything you needed to produce buds that will turn into fruit. The fruit was always the work of Jesus Christ. The buds, evidently, was the whole preparation of the Old Testament story. You had everything you needed. You had nutrients, but there is no fruit in you. You used it to make leaves. And you look healthy. And you look like you should be on your way to your destiny. But you're not. And because of that, no man will ever eat from you again. And he turns from there. And he walks into the court of the Gentiles. And he runs everybody out. And he says, this is a shame. My house should have been called a house of prayer for all people. Somehow the house of God can turn into a sense of entitlement and royalty. And where we unintentionally look down our noses at all those tragic people. The, 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 the horror, the shame, they are just... You know, when the Pharisee looks around for someone to pray against and make himself feel better, um, he picks a money, he picks a tax collector because there's no Gentiles there. <laughs> so he picks a tax collector. He says, God, I thank you I'm not like him. The church cannot have a sense of entitlement. We are not the purpose of God. We are a part of of the purpose of God. And as long as we are here, surrounded by a lost, dying society of broken hearts, we need to make sure our prayer is not just about me and mine. We need to make sure our faith is not just about whether or not we got what we needed. You need to get what you needed because I need you to have what you need. You see what I'm saying? But if we stop there, 
how are we different than a tree that has everything it's supposed to have to produce the fruit of destiny, but instead it uses all those nutrients to turn out leaves. And you know the problem with leaves? Leaves aren't, mm, that, you know, they, they produce energy, and yet out of that energy without fruit is purposelessness. And so what you have in a fig tree without figs is purposeless energy. Maybe it'll give you shade, but it'll never give you fruit. So, I'm thankful to be a part of a church where we put in our core philosophy and in our core culture, it's not enough for me to be blessed. I want to see someone growing in faith. They might just be a, a bud but I'm excited because one day they're going to be fruit. Let's all stand. All right. Before we go, let's, let's pray prayers of blessing and protection over each other. Turn and find someone. Just take their hand or put a hand on their shoulder, whatever, whatever is appropriate. I want you to uh, imagine that I asked you to pray a prayer of protection and blessing over that person right now. Would you do that all across the house before we go our separate ways? Pray over them right now. Lord God, I pray. I pray your hand would be upon us. I pray your hand would guide us. I pray that you would protect us from the devourer. If the enemy can destroy the church, we know he will try. If there is a door that is unprotected, he will come in and hurt. He will damage. And so right now for my brother, for my sister, I speak the protection of divine presence in their life. And I speak, I speak your blessing upon them, Lord. Rather than the things of this world, the things that fade, I, I pray a spiritual wealth upon them today. I speak a spiritual wealth. Tell them right now, I speak a spiritual wealth over you in Jesus' name. I claim it. I celebrate it. I rejoice in it. Lord God, I pray today, I believe today, I claim today that your work would be fulfilled in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. 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 Now church, would you help me praise the Lord for his promise? something that's a little bit sad, but there were, I just feel this in my spirit to do it because I feel like it's a statement of clarity. Uh, I recently heard some, some gossip from uh, some other churches about some of the young people that we had sent to uh, an event, and uh, some of their leaders were teasing some of our leaders about how some of the, our young people, you know, um, they, they, they were rough. And they were all laughing at first church expense because some of our young people don't have parents in the church. And they don't come from the, you know, right, whatever. And when I heard that, I got mad. I got mad. I got mad. 
set on me for a, a whole day. I was so mad. I wanted to fight. So I'm going to say this to the video camera just in case anybody says it. We want all those kids here at First Church. Some of them only have two or three dresses and we see them in rotation, the same two or three dresses. And some of them are abused. It's none of your business, but some of them are. And I'm glad God didn't send them to you. And I'm glad God sent them to us. I took some home after first steps one day and dropped them off in their yard and I heard their dad beating their mother inside the house. And I volunteered to call the police. They begged me not to do it. They said it won't help, it'll make things worse. So I sat there mad and I did what they asked. But they're here and I'm glad God sent them here. And I'm going to love them. And if the Lord will help me, I'll love all y'all too. <laughs> but at the moment, it's easier to love them than love you. <laughs> Full disclosure. I love you, First Church. If God will help us, we'll do something for him. If God will help us, and he'll help us. In Jesus' name. Would you praise the Lord one more time? Thank you, Lord. You have much people in this city. Help us to show them your love to them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, clap your hands one more time in praise to the Lord. All right, Sunday's Easter. Sunday's Easter is going to be a great celebration of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope, our joy. Have a week, great week. God bless you. We love you. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come join us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road at the corner of Shamrock Drive. Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., and Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Online, find us at firstchurchclt.com or like us on Facebook or Twitter. We hope to see you soon. Come worship with us.